Welcome to the Expansive CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, founder of Expansive CEO and X Squared Wealth Planning. Buckle in as we explore how to create true prosperity and build a business and a life that expands beyond yourself and makes a dent in the universe. All right, everyone. It is the next Friday for Investment Fridays with Mr. Brad Haynes of Juncture Wealth Strategies. And today we're recording right now on August 31st. It's 4.38 p.m. just to timestamp it. And again, I'm here with Brad Haynes, the Chief Investment Officer of Juncture Wealth Strategies. Brad, what's up, man? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, Not much. Markets are not up today, which they were earlier. So that's always a fun little twist late in the day. Um, But yeah, I mean, things are, are going well. How are they going for you? Good. We just got a rescue dog the other day. So that's the excitement in my house right now. We have a three and a half year old black lab. His name is Leaf. Um, And we've had him since he was like eight weeks old. Um, We got him at like right as soon as the shutdown happened, basically in March of 2020. (laughs) We're like, we're going to be home. We might as well get a a puppy. And as did millions of other people. Fantastic. Yeah, he's been our only dog for three and a half years, and we decided we should have one more. So we rescued an older dog, um, and she is very sweet, and her name is Violet, and she's a lab mixed with something. So labs are great dogs. You cannot, are they, is she black, chocolate, or yellow? She is, yeah, she's black, and she has a little bit of white on her chest and paws. So she's, if if it's a purebred lab, they don't have any markings. Um, So she has, you know, Maybe Greyhound, maybe Whippet, maybe, you know, something along those lines. Maybe a shepherding dog. She'll nip at Leaf's ankles a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going fast enough. Go, right? Go. Yeah. So that's the that's the excitement this week is integrating a new dog into the house. Oh, so. that's so exciting. Yeah. I'm a huge dog, huge dog lover. So I, I am all for more dogs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my, my sister told me this week. Four is too many. So don't there get four. And I'm like, we, okay, good to know. We had four at one point. We had two chihuahuas where when we were very first married, even before we got married, my husband and I. Um, so back when we were like 20. And we had, so we had two chihuahuas. They were hilarious. And then we really wanted big dogs, though. We didn't want little dogs. Like we just had them because we lived in an apartment. We loved them. We kept them their whole lives, their whole lives. But we added two Labradors as well, so we had we had two pairs for a while. That happened. But I, yeah, I don't I don't think we're going uh we're going above two anymore. <laughs> no, I've got two Frenchy Bulldogs for everybody out there. I've got two little Frenchy Bulldogs, eighteen months old, oh. um, a a boy and a girl, and they're they're all I can handle. They're fantastic. They give me so much loving. So. I'm very excited about them. In fact, they're with me right now. They're always with me throughout the day. So, ah, so sweet. They give, yes, they give me support. <laughs> right on those on those hard trading days for sure. That's, that's right. <laughs> so, what's going on in the markets this week? And we have a really good topic that we're going to talk about today. Um, so, tell us what's what's kind of happened. Well, and you weren't with us last Friday, so we've got two Correct. weeks. So what's happened over the last couple of weeks? And um, then we're going to talk about price to earnings ratios, PE ratios. 
and what they mean and why we need to pay attention to them. So that'll be our little education feature for today. Correct. So over the last couple of weeks, the market generally, the equity market has started to rebound. Um, people are starting to really dismiss the possibility of having a recession in the United States. Um, you know, Jerome Powell, we had the the economic symposium in Jackson Hole last week, late last week, which in essence, what he said was we're going to conquer inflation. But as soon as we're there, we're going to stop and then we're going to keep interest rates at that high level long enough for us to be very, very confident that inflation is no longer a problem and that the U.S. economy is on a solid, sustainable path. So that coupled with um, on Tuesday, we we got the JOLT survey, which sounds a little weird from, from growing up in the 80s. Everybody remembers JOLT Cola, which was the first hyper-caffeinated soda. Right. Um, you know, predecessor it, to energy drinks. <laughs> yes, the predecessor to energy drinks of today. Um, but the JOLT survey is job openings and layoff turnover survey. So essentially, they go out and they ask um, companies, hey, how many jobs you have available? Um, how many people are you laying off? And you know what kind of turnover are you experiencing at your firm? And they do that with thousands of firms. And so then they combine this all into... Um, a, a survey result. Um, and they one part of that that survey result is how many available jobs do you have open that you have yet to fill? And that came in on Tuesday much lower than was expected. So to give everybody perspective, at one point we peaked around 10 and a half to 11 million jobs in the US economy. Now put that in perspective, we only have like five and a half million people unemployed. Hmm. So it was basically two jobs for every person unemployed in the U.S. at the peak. Now, to on Tuesday when it came out, it was 8.1, 8.2 million jobs available. So it's come off quite a bit. Um, and that ratio has fallen from two, point, two jobs per every unemployed to one and a half jobs for every person unemployed. Still, really strong. I mean, <laughs> that is a really, really strong. Um, okay. But yet it's showing signs of softening at the beginning. And as, as we talked about, uh, job labor markets are generally not the precursor, but they're the lagging effect. Yeah. They're the last thing people want to, last thing companies want to do is lay off employees. Okay. They, are forced to do it generally because they have to right size their business or they just have to lower costs in certain ways. And you know, often many businesses, labor is your biggest expense. So that's that's part of the reason you know people are starting to see, well, it's softening, but how how much is it softening? What's the trajectory? And when it goes to interest rates, the Federal Reserve is going to continue to have high interest rates until the labor market weakens pretty significantly. Meaning, instead of having one and a half jobs per unemployed person, maybe it's three quarters of a job, 0.75 jobs mm -hmm. per unemployed persons. Now, a couple things could happen there, right? We could have the job available 
available jobs come down quite a bit and we could have the unemployed people, the number of unemployed come up a little bit and that could right size that ratio pretty easily. Now, don't, don't shoot the messenger, but right now we have unemployment of three, three and a half, three point six percent That is a very, very, very low unemployment rate. That means the market is too strong. There are, it's just too strong for labor. So there are going to be some more layoffs coming. There are going to be some available jobs being cut. And that is actually for all of us as the overall economy, much more sustainable um, from a long term. Now, the reason why the Fed is looking at that and saying, hey, we need to wait until the labor market weakens before we start to stop, you know, stop increasing our interest rates is because. Um, when you have the labor market this strong, what happens is you start to see the see the signs of a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that you have high inflation. And then your employees come to you and say, hey, we need more money. We need higher raises to compensate for the higher inflation. Makes sense. Well, what happens is when their current business doesn't do that, they leave, they go to another company who does give them a massive raise. And and that that has been occurring in the in the economy over the past couple of years. So they want to dampen down that competition where, you know, um, that the labor costs can spiral out of control. Because, again, as everybody gets raises, it increases their spending, which increases economic growth which increases inflationary pressures. So it's just one of those things that we have to watch out for. It's one of the reasons the Fed, even though inflation has dropped to 3% on the CPI year over year, um, they're still maintaining their tight monetary policy, still still coming at it, still attacking inflation. And so that's, that's where we remain today. Interesting. And with the, you mentioned you know, the ratio could come down by employers just not posting job openings. Um, and that's so that's interesting that there are more than just one mechanism or one lever, right? Because before Absolutely. or the other things that we've been hearing are more, you know, there just needs to be more unemployed people. But if the ratio could come down the other way, too, where there's just not as many job openings, you know, that... Um, I, I don't know, somehow that clicked differently in my brain that time when you said yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, if you have all of a sudden 4 million available jobs, okay, so let's say available jobs cut in half. So you have 4.4 million jobs or four, four, basically 4 million jobs outstanding and you have 6 million people unemployed or there's unemployed workers looking for work, but there's 6 million, there you go. Mm -hmm. That's your That's your ratio. That's more of a, it's not necessarily out of balance. The labor market isn't so strong. Um, it 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 allows it 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 discounts the pressure, the wage pressure that businesses will feel. Therefore, their margins will be protected. Therefore, U.S. equities, their earnings will have a better probability of growing, and therefore, the U.S. Um, stock market continue will continue to grow and and gain. Uh, make gains. So that's that's kind of some of the thought process there. Interesting. So let's go, since you just mentioned earnings, let's go to that and talk about PE ratios. 
Now, I think a lot of people have heard that term, right? Because it gets thrown around in the media um, somewhat. And if you follow, you know, if you've got an iPhone and you've got your stock app and you go through, you're going to see that language. That doesn't mean, you know, that it's necessarily easy to understand. So what is a, um, you know, explain like I'm five version of what a PE ratio is first, and then what does it mean? And why do we need to watch it? PE ratio, which people may have heard, is the price to earnings ratio. So it's essentially the stock price per share divided by the earnings per share of that company. And it's it's what we call a valuation metric. It's a metric by by which you can know whether a stock is cheap or expensive relative to their earnings that they're currently generating. So at the outset, most people say, okay, well, you obviously want to spend less for the for a dollar in earnings than more. And sometimes that works really, really well. In fact, um, if you're looking at the overall marketplace, generally, if you buy at lower PE ratios, meaning you're spending less per dollar in earnings, generally that works out very, very well, particularly if you're very widely diversified among stocks like that, that have those low PEs, okay? That that is ten, tends to be called value type investing, okay? Okay. Which has done very, very well. Warren Buffett has popularized that type uh, among others. Um, However, there is a an exception to those rules. And it's something you had talked about a little bit, Hannah, is perennially you seem to see these these companies that have very high PE ratios. You know, so you're so they look really expensive on a price to earnings ratio or PE ratio basis. Why is that? Why do we tend to typically have those type of companies always around? And one of the reasons is because a PE ratio only measures the price to today's earnings. So the earnings over the past 12 months per share, that's all it tells you. It does not tell you how fast they're growing those earnings. So for example, if you're in a uh, two situations, one is if you're in a technology company that is innovating, that is um, introducing a revolutionary technology product, they typically trade at much higher PE ratios because their earnings are gonna grow into that PE ratio. So if you look two to three, four years out in their earnings per share, that PE that seems really elevated right now can actually be really inexpensive. Hmm. So it's one of the things that in a growth type company, that's one thing you have to be really careful of that you don't make an erroneous conclusion saying, it's trading at a high PE, therefore I should never invest in it. That typically you have to you have to do a little more work than that and forecast out, you know, five years in the future their earnings and and see does it make sense? Does it not make sense? Some do, some don't. Um, another situation like that is where you have a um, <laughs> you have a, a energy company that has just gone through a boom, okay? And now you have a PE that's very high because oil prices have been uh, high, 
Lots of investors have recognized that oil companies were a great buy, and those oil companies went up significantly on a PE basis. So when they're starting to trade higher than they normally do on a PE basis or higher relative to the index, that's something you need to be a little careful of because generally what happens is their price will will generally fall a little bit relative to the to the to the PE their historic PE. So it's just some things that you want to keep in mind when just looking at PE as a valuation ratio. Um, but generally speaking, uh, value or low PE purchases are generally a better a better indication, particularly if you're doing that on the overall market. So let's let's actually like put that in numbers though, so people can understand um, a little bit more. So what's a range of a low PE versus the range of a high PE? And I know on the high side, it can re- like it can get really crazy. I've it can seen get some really lofty. Yeah, really I've seen some fast. really really interesting ones. I like. I've seen. I I, I want to say this sounds crazy, but I feel like I've seen stocks in the two hundreds. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, good. for sure. <laughs> like I'm not misremembering that, right? Like it seems. No, 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 no. You're not. Not at all. Um, but yeah, what's a low to, PE? Hold on here. I'm trying to find a. A. Uh, I had a. There's a chart by a company called Randall and Pierce, or Crandall and Pierce, and it talks about. Um, it talks about your PE and then your your subsequent 15-year returns on the equity markets. Mm. And so what it shows is generally speaking is that lower PEs generally uh, lead to, in fact, um, I, I want to share this if I could. Yeah, let me make that possible here. So if you're watching, if you're just listening, we're actually going to like look at a chart here and kind of explain what we're looking at. And if you're, if you want to see it on YouTube, you can always go to the YouTube channel uh, yeah. and Definitely check it out I'll there. I'll walk through this verbally. All right. So all right. Forgive me just a second. All good takes a moment sometimes. Yeah, it does. So I apologize. Okay. So you're looking right currently for all those who are listening, uh, we are looking at a Crandall Pierce chart that on the vertical axis is the, the subsequent 15 year period. Okay. And annualized returns. And on the horizontal axis, we're looking at the S and P 500s, uh, price to earnings ratio. Okay. And what it shows is there's a bunch of it's a scatter plot. So it has a lot of different plots of, you know, different price to earnings ratio for the S&P 500 that range from essentially six to 30, 31, maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. On the PE ratios. So that is for the overall market. All right. So to your, to answer your question, Hannah, generally the overall large cap S&P 500 marketplace for equities stays in the range of six to 30, okay? okay? Individual stocks though, can definitely trade at over 200 times, although very unlikely that they do, 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, there are some that do trade that high on a periodic basis because they go through massive expansion. For example, um, Moderna had a very, very elevated PE prior to uh, the COVID mm-hmm. um, as as people, as investors were like, oh, they're going to have a COVID. And, and it was a small, smaller company, unlike Pfizer or the like. So um, it traded at a very, very high PE. However, those that rapid earnings growth backfilled that PE very, very quickly. So it dropped significantly. Okay. Um, but that scatter plot is is sloping down to the right. So there's a regression line in there. It's a red regression line. And essentially what that says is for every PE or for whatever PE we have today, it indicates right around where your your return on that index, the S&P 500, will be for the next 15 years on average. So what that means is uh, today we have a PE of 23 and a half on the S&P 500. Okay? So is that, and is that an average of all the companies on the S&P? Is that what, how that works? That's exactly right. It's a weighted okay. average. So it's the it's every position's PE times their weighting in the index. Okay. So it's very tilted towards the very, very large mega cap type companies, which now are are almost all technology and consumer discretionary stocks. So it's uh, it's very hefty that way in terms of 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 and that's why the PE is so high. Yeah, I was going to um, ask if that's why it's trending up at that higher range right now, because that's at 23.17 is what it's saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is as a, yeah, this is uh, as a couple of years ago, but it's, so 23 and a half is essentially where we are today. And if you can see that, what does that say our average return on large cap stocks in the U.S. is going to be for the next 15 years on average? That's showing, uh Almost seven percent, a little less yeah. than seven. Six to seven percent. Let's call it that range. Okay. Now, what's the average rate of return on the S and P five hundred from nineteen twenty seven to now, or nineteen twenty nine to now? I thought it was more like eight and a half. Okay. Yeah, it's eight and a half to ten, somewhere in that range, depending on how you measure it. So everybody, a lot of people say they like to say, "Oh, the equity market gives you an average of ten percent per year." Okay. Um, so if this is the case, we have just gone through a 10-year period has been, the S&P 500 has just killed it. They, it's been the leading market by a lot. Okay, mm-hmm. A lot of the large cap growth companies, the technology companies, they've just, they've added so much to the valuation of the S&P 500 that is actually um, it's very unlikely that the S&P 500 will continue to do well over the next 15 years. In fact, this chart is telling you it's very unlikely that we're going to have double digit returns on average for the next 15 years. So does that mean it's a bad time to buy? Not necessarily. There's lots of other types of stocks in there. Okay, There's small cap stocks that are trading at a 15 PE. Now, if you come down here to 15 and you take that up to the regression line, you're averaging 12 to 14% per year for the next 15 years. That's phenomenal. That's that's And that's where you'll start to get these excess returns starting to come in 
and um and uh you know you'll you'll start to have more normalized return where small companies which historically over a long period of time have outperformed large cap because they are riskier okay mm-hmm. and so they do offer a better rate of return well because of a couple of different well because the federal reserve suppressing interest rates for so long large cap growth companies have done extremely extremely well that again has reversed itself in the last 18 months with interest rates going from essentially zero to five and a half percent so now we're back to a normal market Uh, my expectation is small cap international some of the emerging markets are going to do fairly fairly well over the next three years so that's that's a really interesting point because we've talked about that before too right that the interest rates themselves are a huge factor in economic growth from the the business's ability to get funding basically right and so if the interest rates we talked about earlier you know they're talking about keeping them the same for a while we're still at like a historically not high level though right like when we're talking about like historic levels of interest rates even at five and a half percent we're still just kind of getting back to normal versus you know being on the high range um so when we talk about it in those terms, if it comes back down, is the market actually expecting interest rates to start falling? And if that were the case, would we be like shifting back towards large cap again? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so what's interesting today from other from other times where we've had interest rates this high, are yields on it on U.S. Treasury notes, 10-year notes, typically are 6.5% when we have 5% interest rates. So short-term interest rates, 5.5%. 10-year Treasury note, generally 6.5% during this time. But as everybody knows, we talked about this in an earlier podcast, we have an inverted yield curve or a flatter yield curve where it, it doesn't really slope up that much. Mm. Um, couple reasons for that, but let's just assume that interest rates are going to start to fall second half of 2024, which is what it's expected in the market right now. The, the futures markets for the interest rates are saying, Hey, second half of 2024, we're going to have a one to one and a quarter percent reduction in interest rates. Fantastic. Um, generally that will benefit smaller companies much more, Mm. okay? Because interest is generally a larger percent of their their expenses. And so they're the ones that suffer when credit gets tight, when interest rates go up. They're the ones that suffer the most. It's one of the reasons um, I looked at, so the Russell 2000, which is a proxy for smaller companies, um, is up 15% from its low in the last 52 weeks. So the last year, it's up 15% from its low. But it's still off 21% from its prior high. It's 52-week mm-hmm. high, okay? So 
it's it's basically a third of the way back still has two third more to go to get to that all-time high again and part of the reason high interest rates whereas large companies and i'm using the russell 1000 index which is the largest 1000 companies in the us is only six and a half percent from its high and it's come back 26 percent from its low in the last 52 weeks so it's 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 almost all the way there like there's not much else or you know it's like six percent seven percent from its high unless we get a lot of really good earnings growth probably not going to maintain that high or even go to a new all-time high um, unless again something else happens Um, whereas I think the better bet is those small companies that have not they're still two-thirds away from their all-time high and and if interest rates start to get reduced second half of 2024 as expected their earnings are going to grow much faster than the large companies so that their earnings or their earnings should grow faster, which means their equity prices should go up more. Mm. Interesting. Okay. So in terms of PE ratios, again, just to kind of recap yep. that what we talked about, the price to earnings ratio is how much the stock price is in dollars divided by the earnings from the last 12 months per share. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. And when you're looking at long-term growth, generally the lower PE, so in that, you know, it seemed like 10 and lower or 12 and lower was where there was like significant return in that 12 to 15% range when you're looking at a longer time frame and as we go way out on the scale to that you know 25 30 it starts to come down quite a bit on that scatter plot i was always it was down at like 4% or less exactly you're exactly right so um one thing i tell people is look pe ratios can be really um very difficult to about because we don't measure anything else in our lives like that. Yeah. So sometimes what I do is I flip it upside down. Okay. So I take the ratio, I flip it upside down, or I take the inverse, however you want to look at it. And now earnings are on top, the earnings per share is on top and the price is on the bottom. What that gives you is a, is a percent. Okay. So now you have a percent. Okay. So for example, the S and P 500 right now at 23 and a half PE, they have what we call an earnings yield, which is just flipping it upside down. The earnings yield is about four and a quarter percent, four percent, okay, four and a quarter percent. Okay. Why is that imp- important? Well, because it makes it easily comparable. So, for example, if someone's saying, I'm looking at a CD, a one year CD, okay, I can get a one year CD at five percent, FDIC guaranteed. Beautiful, no principal risk, um, no volatility, just a consistent income of 5%. Well, right now you're buying the S&P at a percent okay? 
So which is better? So you can compare how expensive are stocks compared to a fixed income alternative? Mm. Um, a lot of there's a popular model in the financial markets that compares that earnings yield to the 10 year treasury note. So right now the S&P is at four and a quarter and the 10 year treasury notes at a four one a 409. So 4.09%. So not much difference. So the way you interpret it is, do I want to earn four and a quarter percent over the next 10 years? Or do I want to earn 409 from a virtually risk-free rate in the 10-year treasury note? It kind of gives you a comparative basis. It's a little easier. Instead of a PE where you're like 23 and a half, is that good? Is that bad? Uh, I don't know. You can flip it upside down, use it as a percent, and look at some alternative investments, alternative fixed income investments. Yeah, so that makes a ton of sense because if we were at you know, a PE of 15 instead, what would that one be? What... Doing the quick math? Yeah, doing the quick math. All right. It would be, it would be six and two thirds, 6.67. Yep. Six, yeah, six and two thirds percent. Okay. Which again, far superior to, to 4.09%. Because essentially what that's saying is, and this isn't, this isn't exact. So it's, it's, this is high level, easy rule of thumb type stuff is I'll earn six and two thirds percent per year for the next 10 years. And the 10 year treasury note can only give me 4.09%. Well, that's a 50% difference. Right. So I'm willing to take the risk in the S&P 500 and, and, and go, go forth on that, that basis, if that makes sense. Now, again, I'm using this as a rule of thumb because it's not, you're not going to earn six and a quarter two-thirds percent, you're probably right. going to earn far greater than that because of other other uh, things that go into the total return of a stock portfolio. But it, it gives you a high-level basis as to share, you know, compare it to stock, a, a large, very well-diversified index to the, the, the bond market. Okay. Yeah, that that really helps, I think, just to give it a new context so we can... It, because that's more applicable or tangible, right? Like I can conceptualize that more easily than, yeah, just the arbitrary number that is PE ratio. So awesome. Well, that was super interesting. Um, and if anyone, again, as we always say, if you have any questions, if something else, you know, comes up on your newsfeed and you say, hey, what does that mean? Um, like, price to earnings ratio or what's beta or what's a sharp ratio or, you know, what does alpha mean in um, financial markets? Like anything, if anything comes across and you say, I want to know what that means, let us know. And we'll talk about it um, here on the podcast next week. So Brad, thank you as always for being here and you're welcome. We will see you next week. Sounds good. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to like and subscribe. And again, if anything resonated with you from this episode, I would love to hear from you. Email me at hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at expansiveceo.com and tell me about it. And if you're ready for your greatest expansion, you can find ways to work with me at expansiveceo.com 
and at xsquaredwealthplanning.com. That's x, the numeral two, wealthplanning.com. So until next time, remember that there is enough, you are enough, and your birthright in this lifetime is to be expansive. <laughs>